The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. It is the Ring Rap One Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, Emergency Edition. Haven't had one of these in a few months. Mattia Bonato is out as team principal of Ferrari. Megan Schuster is doing some sort of emergency F1 pod dance. Megan, what's going on, pal? What is up? I am so ready to talk about Ferrari, to talk about Italians with you. Let's get into it. Mattia Bonato, despite being the most Italian human being on the planet, is actually <laughs> is actually born in Switzerland. That really blows my mind. Um, like the glasses alone, I'm like that is not a Swiss person. That is a that is an Italian person. A thousand. Percent. That is the the most Italian person. The most Italian <laughs> person for the most Italian team. We're gonna get into um, the Italianness of it all because it all plays into. It. We'll also touch on Daniel Ricardo being officially unveiled as a Red Bull uh, reserve driver. Uh, I'm really fascinated by that story. But we will start with what was I think equal parts. It's expected, depending on who you talk to, and a surprise, depending on who you talk to. Um, I was just reading Andrew Benson, who said that this was an open secret heading into Abu Dhabi. This was over. But on the other hand, Ferrari said it wasn't going to happen. There was also an open secret, according to the BBC, that Alfa Romeo boss Fred Vassar is going to be his replacement, although that was it seemed to be up in the air um, when you read some of the reports today. But if, if the open secrets in Abu Dhabi are any indication, um, that <laughs> seems to be where everything is trending. This says to me so much, and I have probably 30 minutes of rant in me about where Ferrari is, where it's going, where it has been, and what this says about all of it and how it ties together. Um, but this says so much about where Ferrari thinks Leclerc is going, where Ferrari mm-hmm. stands in general. Um, so Bonato was... In charge of the team since the beginning of the 2019 season, he'd been with Ferrari since 1995. He had run a handful of departments before that, the engine department, um, the the technical side of it all. Um, And he had the pace 
but he didn't have the reliability. It mm-hmm. sounded like when you do deep dives into Ferrari that he tried to change the culture. There was a blame culture in Ferrari that he wanted to turn on its head. And I don't know. Maybe Ferrari likes the blame culture. I don't know. <laughs> um, it all ties into they seem to. How, how it's all reflected in the Italian media, all of that stuff. Um, we're going to get into some of the missteps he had this year. But uh, Meg, first impressions. Yeah, I think throughout the second half, we all knew Ferrari had to change something. I don't think everyone was fully in agreement on what that something necessarily was, whether it was Bonotto himself or someone else within the team, like people more tied directly to strategy decisions they were making um, or reliability issues. But this team had nine car retirements Mm -hmm. out of 44 possible finishes (laughs) between the two drivers. That's 20% of the time. Um, Is that good? I think that's really good is what I'm taking from this. They also scored 15 points or less six times throughout the season, which if you look at Red Bull, that only happened twice. And yeah, I mean, by the end of the season, Charles and Carlos were virtually calling their own plays. And it just seemed like a pretty widespread failure. So I guess at some point you have to do something kind of drastic when you have the kind of car that you have and the young drivers that you have. But I don't know, reading up on it today, I'm not entirely convinced that losing Mattia was the right move. But again, I think Ferrari's kind of desperate to do something and to get back to their winning ways. And, you know, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. I will also say, though, that it concerns me that they will now be moving on to their fifth team principal in the last decade, which uh, shows some other maybe institutional failings on their part. But I don't know. We can talk about all of that, too. I was not surprised that it happened within let me rephrase that i would have supported it if it was another team was having these sort of reliability problems okay within the context of ferrari as you said they roll over team principles every year and a half basically um they've had six in the v6 hybrid era um which is ludicrous um they improved their pace in 2020 his second year they were as much as a second off of the pace with other engine manufacturers. They just didn't have anything. And the fact that they were able to, and listen, I don't, I don't have a problem with making him the fall guy on this, but I don't think this is going to solve any of the problems when you think about how much better they got so quickly. Um, to me, the problem was in strategy, and maybe you can go ahead and, and fix some of that, maybe you can get a different strategy guy, whatever, and then reliability, and I don't know how much you can put at the feet of the team principal when you're getting that, when you're making that sort of improvement and you're getting that much pace so quickly. I mean, you really got one year of that engine and they say he ha- he has to go. Okay. Mm-hmm. But someone, someone had to get fired for Leclerc le- leading with over 46 points. Yes. After the third race of the season. And three races later, Red Bull gets a lead they never lose, which is. Un, it's, it's un, uh, unprecedented. I mean, the 46 point, I remember we were on this podcast, 46 point lead after three races was already <laughs> going to be a top 10 comeback in the history of Formula One after three races. And they were undone by their own incompetence and their own strategy problems and their own reliability problems. So yes, someone had to get fired. But I don't think a guy who was trying to change the culture who had gotten the pace going so well. Did the United States of America just score? I think they did. Um, oh. Yep. Yep. Wow. Mid-rant. Huge. Mid-rant. 
Huge. We're back. No reliability issues here, baby. (laughs) Um, But I mean, this to me says so much about the culture of Ferrari. There's a reason that they haven't had a world champion driver since 2007 when Kimi Raikkonen did it. Um, God, I miss him. We we all do. There's a great <laughs> piece on the race by Scott Mitchell Malm. I don't know if you saw it. Basically saying that I the did. way Ferrari is set up. Big ringer guy, by the way. Big Shea yeah? Serrano guy. He's probably crestfallen about Shea's exit. Um, uh, but the way, the way that Ferrari is set up, where Christian Horner is the guy. There's no, there mm-hmm. are people above him, but there's no meddling. Certainly mm-hmm. not meddling to this degree. Total Wolf is, you know, a shareholder in the Mercedes right. team. He's locked in. Okay. Like he didn't, he, it's not, he had, he's been there since 2013, but he's also just ingrained in the team, ingrained in the culture. Ferrari has a CEO above Bonato who replaced, um, Camilleri, who who left due to COVID complications, it sounds like, at the end mm-hmm. of 2020. So running Ferrari right now is a guy named John Elkman. And what it sounds like is that Camilleri, who was the CEO under Elkman, who was the chairman, uh, had a great relationship with the, the, the power structure at Ferrari. And then he leaves uh, due to COVID complications in late 2020. And Bernardo doesn't have any support. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like in an F1 team where you need stability, where you need a four or five year project just to see it through, I kind of feel like you cannot, and I saw a bunch of people make this point, you can't treat it like a normal business. And Ferrari, because they are a car company, and Lord knows they're not the only one on the grid, but they treat it like any other business. They listen, mm-hmm. and I saw this point brought up too, they listen to the media. Don't listen to the media. Don't (laughs) listen to the media. I'm in the media. We don't know what we're talking about. Don't do it. We don't understand what's actually going on with the engines. We don't know. But then when that happens, it gets reflected back on the team. That's the culture of Ferrari. And I was was talking about, you know, I probably brought it up five times in this podcast, the amount, you know, the the, the culture problems and all the anecdotes about Ferrari and, and you know, one of the guys who designed one of the best cars in history went over to Ferrari and and drew everything up and said, here's how our car is going to be going. And then when they got out there on the track, he said, why isn't this happening? And this team said, eh, we thought, we thought, you know, we do something else. It's like, wait, what? I drew the car. (laughs) Like that was in the eighties, but like not much has changed. That seems to be the culture of Ferrari. It's political. It's, um, it's, it's up and down. It's, you know, violent shift from sort of one idea to the next. And this just feels like one of those. It feels like too many cooks in the kitchen. And it also just feels so indicative of having the wrong internal hierarchical strategy. Because like if we looked at Ferrari like a football team, and they're obviously not, but Mm -hmm. any NFL team that is going through five head coaches or five general managers in a 10-year span, like you can't look at the head coaches as being at fault. You look at the team owner and you look at everyone above the head coach who is making these larger organizational decisions. And yeah, I mean, at some point you have to give somebody the time to make the kinds of changes that they want to make. And whether that will be Vassar, if he does end up coming to Ferrari, it sounds like he has a good relationship with Charles Leclerc. Maybe that has something to do with all of this. I don't know. But at this point, I would be a little fearful taking that job, just knowing the kind of cycle you're going into and the high expectations And like you said, the Italian media has so much power over Ferrari. It's a little bit wild. You know, I was trying to think 
Have you ever heard of Mercedes referencing the German media or Red Bull saying, oh, you know, the British media? I mean, outside of Christian Horner's Sky Sports boycott yeah. for one week. Christian Horner is the British media. That's, that's, the, that's the problem. He's just a media member. Yeah, and that I guess he does have too much power. But it is wild how often you hear, you know, Ferrari critics and Ferrari strategists and people referencing the Italian media and how closely they're paying attention to it. It's a very, very toxic environment, it seems. And I don't know what they'll ultimately decide to do going forward. Yeah. And and listen, I've changed my mind a bunch. I think there was a time, especially in mid-year, where I probably was on this episode on the show and saying everybody out. And then the more you think about it, the more research you do and the more perspective you get on it, you realize that F1 is not one person. It's not, this is not football. This is not, I mean, like, listen, you can draw parallels wherever you want from Ferrari to Manchester United or Ferrari to Texas, University of Texas football, where it's just this big behemoth that cannot get right because there's too many cultural issues, right? Um, We see that all the time in, in global sport. But I think F1 is just more complicated than that. And I think... When I, the more I read about him trying to change the culture, that actually probably was a, a force for good. Let's talk about Leclerc. You brought him up, so mm-hmm. boy, um, <laughs> this was this was a tough year, and we got the. I, you know, I can't think, can't stop thinking about the 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 listener question um, in the last month of the season, basically saying, "Is Leclerc finally broken?" Because he had mm-hmm. such an optimistic attitude in the beginning in the beginning of the season, and I, I don't really. I, I didn't see that at the end, and I don't blame him for seeing it at the end. Let's go yeah. through it, okay? Engine failures while leading in Spain and Azerbaijan. Then a strategy failure in Monaco. Then more race management errors in Silverstone and Hungary, okay? And that cost him two more wins, probably. Mm-hmm. The second half of the season, reading from the BBC here, um, Red Bull got all the advantages, never relinquished it. So all of the advantages that Ferrari had in the first half, they squandered. And then to make matters worse, they didn't improve their car when Red Bull did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was a complete disaster. But I also want to read some other media reports that basically hint that part of this was that Leclerc understands now. And we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago about how teams are now built around the drivers rather than vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. Verstappen is Red Bull. Hamilton yep. is Mercedes. Ferrari wants to be Leclerc and probably vice versa. Um, Even throwing out some of the awful things that happened to him this year as far as strategy goes and reliability, I think he likes his his place there. But there were some rumblings in reputable F1 media today that Leclerc's team may have been saying, okay, what kind of track are we on here? Because Leclerc is going to spend the bulk of his prime in in red and they want to make sure they're they're on the right track. And mm-hmm. I think it was Andrew Benson at the BBC who also said that basically that they, they don't want to lose him to Mercedes in a few years. Um, if he starts developing as a driver to be a kind of a, a Max-esque driver and then a seat opens there. Also, who knows what, what happens with George there, whether or not Mercedes pivots entirely to George, whatever. But do you think Leclerc's team ordered, so to speak, the code red on management and said, if we're going to stay here, if we're going to be happy here for the long term, this needs to change. I don't know that they would have directly ordered the code red, but I'm sure they made their discomforts known. And, and I just say that judging by who 
it seems is currently the leading candidate yeah. to come yes. in and, and replace Bonetto, which is like you said, Frederick Vasseur, who is currently the team principal for Alfa Romeo. He and Charles worked together in 2018 um, when Charles had his F1 debut at Sauber. Um, it seems like they have a good working relationship. Um, and, and what I find, I think, most interesting about this potential hire is that Vasseur has said that he believes in there being like a true number one driver on a team and there being a hierarchy within that driver room. Mm-hmm which would, of course, in this case, be Leclerc, um, which I'm sure Charles would love to have and to love, you know, love to have that support and not have to worry about fighting with Carlos Sainz out there on the track. Um, What I find interesting about that is what that might mean for Carlos going forward and his happiness and that, you know, coming over to the team, I think he had every expectation of being able to, to battle Charles as much as possible. And he's you know, a young competitive driver who wants to do that. And I I don't know that these visions are going to coalesce very well if if this hire ends up happening. Agree on a couple of things. Number one, I don't think they actually care about Carlos Sainz's happiness relative <laughs> True. to everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Number two, I agree. The fact that the alpha boss would slide on over kind of a kind of a GM LeBron vibe there as far mm, as mm-hmm. clutch taking over the organization. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just something to watch. What I'll always say, what, 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 what I will say is that for any team, and this is true, we mentioned those those kind of world sport teams that can just never get out of their own way. It can always get worse. It can yeah. always get worse. And if they're going to, I don't know, I don't think Fred is going to have a team meeting and say, hey, guys, we're going back to blame culture. I'm just saying <laughs> if that's the default and they were trying to change that, it will go pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. And so I think there, there always there's, there's a, there can be a power vacuum. Um, we don't know. I mean, part of the problem with the starts and stops is you bring in X amount of people to be your guys and then they have to leave. I mean, I remember... And this is, you know, I, I actually do think that NFL teams, as far as personnel in the front office, are a little bit now analogous to F1 teams, and that you 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 end up, you know, it's dozens of people, it's people who are in extremely specified roles, and then the next regime may not even need those roles at all. So what do you do with those mm-hmm. people? I remember Dave Gettleman, who was the the GM of the Giants and the Panthers, more much more successful with the Panthers. And I was talking to him one time, and he didn't fire anybody, he didn't fire anybody, and he said that. The mistake that every team makes is they start to bring in their own staff, and it really does cost them about six to ten months. Mm. And that's any big organization. You're set back six to ten months because it's not only people coming in and hiring them, but then it's learning on the job, and you just don't get clicking. So you try to make those people your people, then it becomes square pegs and round holes. Okay? I'm not pretending to know the ins and outs of Ferrari. I'm just saying the more you turn over everything, the bigger the problems you have. And so if Bonotto was trying to charge change the culture there, um, Stopping midstream is it can it can be very 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 detrimental. It can oh this is my this is this is my 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 one takeaway. I want to repeat it. It can always get worse. <laughs> I think that's true. I think, and and I think what you said about setbacks is really important too. In that they still have a very competitive car, and, and you mm-hmm. would assume that coming into this off season, you know, it's it's only going to improve. Hopefully, they kind of figure out what it takes to continue development throughout the season and and to keep pace with a Red Bull who is um, very, very good at, at things like that. And Mercedes too. Um, and, and also like hard to lose 
Bonotto from that aspect because, like you mm-hmm. said, of his history with, with that side of, of things. Um, but also it's like you might be asking for a driver fight on your hands if yes. Carlos becomes especially disgruntled by this system, if he feels like, you know, Charles is is becoming the favorite, if if whatever. Like, like we have seen these, you know, these guys can be very sensitive to things like that. Even somebody is relatively even keeled as Sergio Perez by the end of this year was saying like, I'm not carrying water for Max anymore. I'm not doing it. And and he was basically brought in to do exactly that. So then are you just sowing more discord within your team when previously it seemed like Charles and Carlos were, were semi happy working together? I, I don't know. I, I, I'll be very, very curious to see if, if these flames are able to be put out or not. Okay. There was one point I th- saw in the Scott Mitchell piece that I want to point out, which is that there's only really one time in the history of Ferrari where the team was shielded from the political mess. That the political mess did not infiltrate the team, the cars, the paddock. And that was when Michael Schumacher had that thing rolling and that mm-hmm. was spearheaded by Ross Braun. Mm-hmm. And to me, Schumacher is obviously a singular force in the history of, of F1, but it's up to Leclerc to be good enough to change everything because it's not going to happen from the political side. It's not going to happen. It's up to Leclerc to have drives that are good enough to where everything is propelled forward and then kind of that that gets reflected into the paddock and then the car gets built in the same way. Like, it, it, you have to perform well enough in politics not to matter. I know that sounds completely insane. You know, I was talking to someone who have, who have a, a great young quarterback and – and I was saying, I was making fun of some crappy NFL team to, to, to one of their employees maybe a year ago. And I was like, you know, they don't spend, they don't spend on medical, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we don't do any of that either. And nobody notices because we got the quarterback. <laughs> nobody, yeah. we're a bad organization and we got the quarterback. Okay. And if you think about it that way, you the ball, they have the capability to have Leclerc with a good car who have the pace and the reliability to, to make politics matters significantly less. And that's why I do think you, you you listen to Leclerc's voice, but I would stop short of firing someone just over that. I would too. And, and I think your point is well taken, especially knowing that, you know, Charles asked for this, like his goal in formula one was to get to Ferrari and to drive for Ferrari. And if that is your goal, you know, what comes with it, you know, the pressures, you know, the media attention, you know, that you're going to have to deal with some internal politics. And, and he has to realize that like, this is on his shoulders now. And especially if, if they do end up bringing in Frederick, like that's a big bet on Charles and a big bet on their relationship. And yeah, he has to make it worth it. All right. Let's get out of here with Daniel Ricardo news. Spanners and I hit this at the end of the Abu Dhabi recap about what this does as far as just the vibe in the paddock. He's not going to do 24 races. That's something he said a long time ago. He just wants to find himself. He just wants to hang out, see what he likes, see what he doesn't like. I think this puts pressure on Sergio to get along with Max, not the other way around. I think there's people mm-hmm. who are saying, well, this is going to say, hey, Max and Sergio, be nice to each other. No, it doesn't. No. Max gets to do whatever he wants. Like mm-hmm. Max, they they'll put, they'll find, they'll. I mean, I guess I I was gonna joke they'll put anybody in the car, but they need their super <laughs> license points. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. 
That's know, true. They'll find, they'll find they'll find anybody with their super license points um, and just put them in the car ahead of Checo if Max doesn't like them um, mm-hmm. to the point that to the point that the, the, it all erodes. So curious what you think about this. Um, curious what you think of the move. So basically, it sounded like the Mercedes talks were very real, very close. They mm-hmm. plateaued a little bit. They didn't progress, and then Red Bull came in and, and made a more serious offer. Yeah, um, I, I was reading a little bit today about Daniel's comments on it and kind of why he ended up signing with Red Bull. And it, it does sound like a little bit of a nostalgia and comfort factor, which I, I found very endearing and very sweet that, you know, when Mercedes kind of stalled and things that he just decided that, you know, there are some things that are more important and, and going back to Red Bull, a place where I know everyone and feel comfortable and feel like I can do my best work um, seemed important to him. So that was good. Um I am, I personally am really excited about this. I was always disappointed when Daniel left for Red Bull and um, think, you know, some of his, some of his moves have been fairly questionable since then. So I'm glad to see him back. I agree with you though, that it puts a lot of pressure on Checo knowing that he is back there and waiting. And I I am curious, I, I would be curious to know what Checo's, honest reaction was to this signing because especially given some of the tensions with max at the end of the year if is i'm curious if this is a move that's meant to kind of like tell him what's up and that you know you kind of have to fall in line and and do what we're asking you to do or um or if, or if maybe he doesn't see it that way and maybe just is, is happy to have daniel in the paddock I, I honestly don't know but it will be very curious once the season starts up and if there are any tensions um what comes of it. Megan Schuster, thanks for hopping on for an emergency podcast. We're going to be back uh, next week. We'll do an awards thing. Let's do it. Let's do the awards thing. Let's do and it. And then we're going to have, we'll unveil some sort of off-season format um, pretty soon uh, once the news stops. And we'll see you then. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for her help. She's been watching the USA game for the past 30 minutes. But <laughs> I'm, 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 Megan and I have both been jealous of her. Um, we'll get back to it. There's been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>